Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If you're wondering why the stock market is up big, it's up. the Dow's up 204 points at the open, NASDAQ up 55 points. It's because of the elections in France over the weekend. We might talk about this a little bit later, but what happened was um, in France, there was it was the first round, essentially primary elections to see who's going to be the next president of France. And uh, interestingly, the, the mainstream parties, like the equivalent of the Republicans and Democrats, neither one of their candidates advanced. But what happened was there was a centrist party candidate that advanced with like 22 percent of the vote. And then there was a, a far right wing candidate. And this lady has been she's run on several occasions before her father ran as well. Um, her name is Marine Le Pen, and she she was the second vote getter. So the centrist candidate and um, the, the far right candidate go to the runoff, which comes up in a, in a few weeks. Now you might say, okay, well, why did that cause the stock market to to jump so much? What's happening is very few people give her any chance of winning because what's going to happen what is already happening is most of the other more mainstream parties are coalescing around the centrist candidate and i think everybody figures it's going to be a, a blowout so the stock market is reacting to that if she were perce- if she were to be elected the president of france and who knows what's going to happen I, I think it would probably spell an end to the european union because she is very very nationalistic um when it comes to uh, again whether or not the european union should um, exist immigration things like that but the general sense is that even though she's one of the two finalists she will not win and she will be crushed and that's being reflected in what's going on in the stock market now like i say the dow opening up um over dow opening up over uh you know 200 points uh, up now 186 we'll continue to watch that as the day goes on all right we start off the program like we start off every program three big things story number one this time, it is American Airlines. Maybe you saw the video. Here's the story. And let me just back into it for a minute. Um, it, in general, airlines, there's no hard and fast rule that says that people can't bring strollers onto airplanes. But as a general rule, the airlines discourage that because the strollers typically don't fold up small enough to fit in overhead bins. But you've got an issue if you show up at an airport, for example, with a couple kids and you need to get the kids through the airport, you, you really can't check the stroller down on the baggage thing. That's why for most airlines, what happens is they will allow you to keep the stroller, take the stroller up to the gate. And then once you get on the airplane, the flight attendants will take the stroller from you and then check it into baggage. That's how it typically happens. All right. So last weekend, last Friday. A woman who is flying, she's actually from Argentina. She's now in San Francisco, and she's flying to Texas. She gets on the airplane, and maybe you've seen the video of this. She's got two um, 15-month-old twins in her arms. Can you imagine this? And she's got the stroller. American Airlines apparently, again, let her get on the airplane with the stroller because apparently it's a small one that you can fold up and it might fit in the overhead bin. So she's got these two kids, you know, 15 months old in her arms. She's wrestling with this stroller. One of the flight attendants had apparently said, okay, if you know, if you can find a space for it and it fits, you can leave it in the overhead bin. Otherwise, we're going to have to check it. So she is heading down the aisle. She's, she's trying to, she's got the kids and she's trying to check this. Another flight attendant comes up and says, you, you can't have this. I've got to take it from you. 
and I'll, I'll check it. She says, she's like, I, they, I, I want the stroller. They, they told me I could try to find a space for it. There is an exchange, at which point in time the flight attendant grabs the stroller physically from her. They struggle over the stroller. Now, she's holding these two kids, and she kind of gets whacked by the stroller. It almost hits the kids um, as the flight attendant is, is grabbing this. Well, nowadays, you have all these people that are watching it. Everybody's familiar with what happened at United, and you've got some passengers who are unhappy that this woman who's now crying and sobbing, um, this, this has happened. So one of the passengers gets up and starts to confront the flight attendant. The flight attendant also, who grabbed it, also is calling security because the woman is unhappy. So somebody else gets on the plane. One of the passengers gets up and kind of gets into the face of the flight attendants and the people who've gotten on the airplane saying, you know, what, what were you doing? And they're saying, you stay out of this. You sit down. At one point in time, the flight attendant, one of the flight attendants challenges the passenger to fight. You want to hit me? Go ahead. You hit me. Then you see what happens. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Um, American Airlines has now suspended the flight attendant after taking the stroller from the woman traveling with the two children and then arguing with other passengers. There are a number of people who are defending the flight attendant, saying, look, what are you supposed to do in a situation like this? She got on the plane. She really wasn't supposed to have the stroller in the first place, even though they told her she could try to find a spot. They try to take it from her. She refuses to surrender it. What is he going to do? You can't. Ju- that's the argument would be. You can't just allow him to have this to her to have the stroller and delay the flight. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I understand being a flight attendant is difficult. I've seen these cell phone videos. I cannot believe that a flight attendant would do this to a woman carrying two 15-month-old children in her arms. I understand the customer is not always right, but I tell you, this, unless American Airlines gets ahead of it, in my opinion, has the potential to be as damaging as what happened on the United flight. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Come fly with me, let's fly. It's 845, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, Rick in Brookfield. Rick, good morning. Uh, good morning. Uh, my wife uh, is a flight attendant uh, for United and um, uh, actually flies that route uh, that the United, uh, the previous United right. incident took place. But there is a very good and comprehensive uh, post in, it's on Facebook or probably on another, other of someone who is actually in the seat when this passenger came on with the children and has a fairly comprehensive uh, account of what actually happened before it escalated and went up to the front where this then this gentleman got up and decided to confront the flight attendant. It's very interesting how uh, we seem to get just a portion Well, what do you think is substantially story. missing from the discussion? The w- woman's got well, these two the kids. Fact that the the uh, passenger, when asked, and uh, as the person who uh, had this account said, please, uh, can I have that? I'll check it, because when they check it, they'll, you know, as the person mm-hmm. gets off the plane, right. it'll, it'll be given back to them. 
uh, immediately, according to this passenger who was sitting in the seat, the the, pass, the other passenger escalated the circumstance, the situation, and began to uh, raise her voice, uh, argue with the mm-hmm. with the uh, flight attendant. I don't say the flight attendant was perfect in how they responded. However, this was something that happened uh, not as a result of the flight attendant being rude or uh, obnoxious first, it was a response to somebody who would simply not follow a simple directive. Well, well, except, I mean, they, one of the flight attendants had told her, and, and I and I also agree that she should have just given up the stroller. I, I get that. But one of the other flight attendants had apparently told her, you can find a space for it. And then the other guy decided, no, this isn't going to be the case. But even regardless... the gate that said that. Right. Regardless, I guess... Here you have a situation where you have a woman who's holding these two kids, and the flight attendant, a male flight attendant, decides to grab this away. You you get into a physical altercation. Is that ever appropriate? No. Yeah, and I guess that that's no. th- that's the point. And then and then of course it escalates. Then you have the other passengers who, then admittedly the guy probably should have stayed in his seat, not confronted it. But then you have a flight attendant essentially challenging a passenger to fight. It tells me this guy's got issues. Uh. They, absolutely, but the passenger said, uh, "What well, if if you see that the passenger actually confronted the flight attendant yeah. first, and and of course, of course yeah, he went up and said, law. "What's your name?" Yeah, he went up and said, "My understanding is he said, What's your name?' You almost, you know, you almost hit, you hit that woman, you almost hit those kids.'" And the guy says, and "Sit down, you don't know what you're talking about." And he said, "I don't care. I saw what you did." Right. And the first thing, no, he didn't see. But the first thing that that flight attendant did was say, "Sit down." Yep. Which which the guy then should have sat down. Then is when that escalated after the again the passenger ignored that right, direction. Right, but you but again, but you have a in the customer service industry, you're always going to be dealing I with different customers. I mean, he challenged the man to a fight. <laughs> you know, it's serious. You, you, I dare you to hit me. I mean, come on, your 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 wife that would was, not do that, right, Rick? Well, Jeff, if you, no, I understand. In fact, just two days ago, she diffused the situation right. where a passenger uh, she told the passenger, you can't have this carry-on, I'll have to check it because it's not fitting under the seat. He said, I'm keeping my carry-on, what are you going to do about right. it? And she she backed off. Only beca- and, and so subsequently, there was something that was in an unsafe position right. because the passengers right. are simply not following directives. Right, and, and I appreciate that. I mean, thanks, and see, and I, I appreciate that that's an issue, and I, I would not, I know flight attendants... It, it's a very. I appreciate it's a very difficult job, and in general, they don't make a lot of money. And I, I get all that, and I understand that um, when people travel, they're down on their last. They're, they're a lot of times they're at their last nerve. And I'm trying to picture this woman. She's from, I believe, Argentina. So you know, who knows what else is going on? And and she's wrestling with these two 15 month old kids, and you've got the stroller. I, I understand all that, but it, it seems to me that. You've got to defuse the situation and, and getting physical or later on challenging one of the passengers to fight. You, you've got to, if you're going to be a professional, you, you have to back away. And I don't care. This is part of the service industry, and you have to back away. Now, I understand how the things with strollers work. She should have 
just given up the stroller in the beginning, but now she's freaked out. Getting physical with the passenger and then challenging another one to fight tells me that this particular guy, for example, has anger issues. At some point in time, I think if you're the flight attendant, especially since you're on the ground, if this is going to be an issue, you've got to back off and you've got to get security. Now, security has to know what they're doing, unlike what happened with the United Airlines situation. Uh, Justin writes on our text line, the flight attendant was right to insist the stroller um, get temporarily stowed below just during the flight when it didn't fit in the overhead, but was completely wrong about how they handled things and treated the passengers. They should have explained how they would put it away, promptly give it back to her um, the way normal strollers are normally handled. Yeah, I, I that's that is to me is the the issue that you know is here. And you're going to have it's how you deal with and treat people as these things are developing. And I'm sorry In my opinion, it is never, ever, ever appropriate for somebody in the customer service industry, flight attendant, waiter, (laughs) bar manager, whatever, to go to a customer and challenge them to, to a fight. Yo, go ahead. You hit me. You see what's going to happen. All right. That's. That's just not how you deal with things. And I understand that if you're in the customer service industry, you have to, you know, and we always believe the customer is right even when the customer isn't right. Um, But you have to figure out how to diffuse these type of things. And it seems to me in this particular case that the flight attendant involved not only did not diffuse things, but he escalated it and then continued to escalate it. And... Again, I just can't get past, okay, if, if I'm sitting there and you've got a woman that's got these two kids and she's wrestling with the stroller and there's probably, like I say, these language issues, physically grabbing it from her, wrestling it out of her hands, whacking her inadvertently in the head and almost, you know, having, hitting the kids, that's that's just not the way you handle something like this. Kevin in South Milwaukee. Kevin, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Well, you know, I've been in the industry, I've been in the service industry since 1992. I've been in retail since then. Things have changed. Customers have become much more demanding, mm-hmm. sometimes out of control demanding, demanding things that they don't really deserve to get. Right. And we've done everything we can. Sooner or later, you will snap. Um, I don't think this guy was in the right. I think he needs to have some additional customer service training but i also don't think the woman or the man that stood up with him the right either well uh, uh, yeah i mean look it, this i i acknowledge um thanks for the call kevin i acknowledge that if the woman would have simply surrendered the stroller it, it this whole thing does not happen and so, yes, she is at fault for that. Apparently, the gate agent tells her she can bring this on the plane. Like I said, I don't know if there's a language issue. She's wrestling with these kids. I, I'm I'm going to cut her a little bit of slack here if she's just trying to find the, the place to put the stroller. I'm going to cut her a little bit of slack. I, I don't get the idea. And she clearly got agitated when they told her once she gets on the plane, contrary to what she'd been told in the gate, that she could keep the stroller. All right, so she's, she's agitated. I get it. She should have surrendered it, and this whole thing goes away. But... But they got physical with a woman carrying two 15-month-old twins on an airplane. They whacked her inadvertently in the head as they're trying to wrestle this thing out of their hands. There has got to be a better way. And then, like I say, the flight attendant decides to threaten to throw down 
you know, with one of the passengers who doesn't like what he's seen in connection with this and is simply trying to get the guy's name because he wants to report it. Also, I mean, and we live in a day now where everybody's got cell phones and everybody's got cell phone videos. But the thing, and I say this whether it's police officers or anybody else, everything you do nowadays is going to be videotaped. And in the wake of what happened in the United Airlines thing, I mean... This idea that anybody thought this would be a good idea is beyond me. I think it is fair to say that this particular flight attendant has, at the very least, he is challenged when it comes to customer service issues. Um, You could say maybe he's got anger issues or whatever, but I've never heard of a flight attendant challenging a passenger to a fight. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Brewers look to snap a three-game skid tonight as they open up a series with the Reds at Miller Park. Bob and Jeff will begin game day coverage at 6.05, but because we've got the Bucks raptors game five here on TMJ, you can catch tonight's Brewers game on 94.5 KTI Country. Check it out. Quick reminder, follow the Brewers. Chance to win a four-pack of tickets to see the Brewers play the Braves uh, later on this month. Um, and um, we'll also be sending somebody... To, We'll also be sending somebody uh, to follow the Brewers on the road. Your chance to win comes up, oh, in about 10 minutes or so. Big thing number two. All right. North Korea has now arrested and is detaining another American. In this case, um, Korean-American professor was arrested at the airport in North Korea as he's attempting to leave the country. He has been involved in aid programs to North Korea. He has been arrested. He now becomes at least the third American that has been arrested um, on questionable charges and is being detained. Um, There's two others, including a University of Virginia student who was arrested in 2016 when he was on a tour of North Korea, and another individual who was arrested in October of 2015 on business. And, of course, in all cases, the families are demanding that the Trump administration do whatever they can to, to get these people back. I I am sympathetic to what the families are saying, and I understand it. But the reality is, North Korea is a rogue nation. And what you have going on now is you have the North Korean government, and I put that in quotation marks, that is scooping up American citizens. And I believe they're holding them in an effort to try to use them as leverage in some of the ongoing dealings that North Korea is having with the U.S. and, and the world. Bottom line of this is, if you are a U.S. citizen... With all due respect, I don't think you have any business being anywhere near North Korea right now because you are at risk of being grabbed by this regime and then used, essentially being held as a hostage. So I appreciate that everybody wants these people back. I appreciate that they are being held in lawless fashion. But the truth of the matter is... If you are an American nowadays, I don't think you want to be anywhere near North Korea because the problem is you could very well be scooped up and it might be difficult to get you back. Um, As I was explaining at the start of the show, if you are wondering why the stock market is up so much and right now the Dow is up 214 points, the NASDAQ um, up even percentage-wise higher, up 67 points. It's all because of what happened in, in France over the weekend. They had a runoff in the presidential race, um, and a number of candidates, it was just the equivalent of a primary. Um, the far-right-wing candidate was one of the two qualifiers, 
but the other candidate that emerged was a centrist candidate, and the, the speculation is that that centrist candidate is going to handily win the general election when it comes up in a few weeks. So the, the stock market is reacting. They're thinking, okay, this is stability, because if the far right-wing candidate had won, there were concerns that France would be pulling out of the European Union and uh, things like that. So that's why the stock market is up so big, at least early on in the day. I have always cautioned when it comes to economic stuff that you, you really have to be careful just reacting to a particular political story. What makes the market ultimately go up and down long term is how well companies are doing and consumer confidence and things like that. But in any event, today the stock market up big. And if you're wondering why, again, it is what happened in Paris over in France over the weekend. All right, we're, uh, we've got our Follow the Brewers winner for today, Kim in Wind Lake. Kim in Wind Lake wins a four-pack of tickets to see the Brewers play the Braves. Um, she is automatically one of the qualifiers for our weekly Follow the Brewers grand prize winner. Keep listening. Approximately the same time tomorrow, we will do this all again. How cool is that? All right. Donald Trump was not fooling around. You, you you hear the term sanctuary cities a lot, and at last count, there were over a 100 cities across the country that declared themselves to, to be a sanctuary city. There's no, there's no specific def, definition of what a sanctuary city is, but, but in general, sanctuary cities are considered to be communities that refuse to detain immigrants who have been arrested for local crimes beyond their release date so the U.S. Immigration Customs Enforcement can can come get them and can deport them. Um, In a broader term, sanctuary cities are also cities that essentially refuse to cooperate with immigration as far as providing information about people that they have arrested who are in the country illegally. That that's and and it varies. There's not a specific definition about what makes you a sanctuary city, although that's a term that's thrown around a lot. And there are a lot of communities across the country who, on the one hand, brag about how they're going to be essentially sanctuaries and they're not going to cooperate with immigration, but then they, they kind of resist that term because, well, they're afraid that there, there could be bad stuff that happens to them as a result of their policies. The U.S. government has said enough is enough. And what the U.S. government has said is that if you, through either a policy or a particular ordinance or a local law, if you refuse to do what we think the law requires you to do, you refuse to cooperate with immigration, you refuse to hold people so that that customs can come and get them. And you've heard stories about that. For example, somebody who who gets arrested, local authorities know the person is in the country illegally, um, and then they either don't tell immigration about it or they tell immigration when immigration doesn't have the opportunity to pick somebody up. You know, we've arrested somebody. We're holding them. Um, we're going to give you notice. Oh, by the way, the guy's going to be released in 10 minutes, and, and customs can't get there to put a detainer on him or to grab him. So those things happen all the time. Um, late last week, the Justice Department sent out a letter to a number of communities, including Chicago, New York, and New York boasts about being a sanctuary city. Rahm Emanuel in Chicago boasts about it. Philadelphia, New Orleans, Miami-Dade, Cook County, Nevada, and California. Warning, and, and Milwaukee County, warning officials 
that if you interfere with the policy of sheriffs or of sheriff's officials or police in communicating with federal authorities about immigration status, um, you, you could lose federal funding for your Justice Department programs. Now, as applied to Milwaukee, um, there, there's a going on a million dollars in community grants that they get that this that they get from the Justice Department that goes to law enforcement efforts. And what the Trump administration is saying is, look, if you do not follow the law when it comes to sanctuary cities, here's what's going to happen. You're going to lose funding. Now, Chris Abley and John Chisholm say, well, this doesn't apply to us. You know, we're, we're, we, we comply with the law. We're not really a sanctuary city, which isn't, again, it depends on who you listen to. It depends on how you define that. You've got a lot of members of the Milwaukee County Board who are, of course, saber-rattling and have been passing policies and procedures essentially saying, we don't want to cooperate with the federal government. Now, candidly, as long as David Clark is the sheriff in Milwaukee County, the county board can pretty much do all it wa- anything it wants, but I- I'm confident that David Clark is going to continue to cooperate with federal authorities. So I I don't know if technically Milwaukee County is or is not a a sanctuary city, and that might be something that has to be defined in the courts. I I do know that a number of the resolutions, for example, passed by the county board certainly suggest that they want to be a sanctuary city. In practical operation, I I don't know, because, again, you've got David Clark, who I don't think cares what ordinances or what resolutions that the county board passes. He's going to do what he thinks is is the right thing to do. But there's clearly other communities across the country who, who boast about the fact that they are not cooperating in many meaningful ways with the federal immigration authorities. They argue, well, if we were going to do this, it would discourage people who are in the country illegally from reporting crimes, things like that. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think the Trump administration is well within its rights to say, if you are not going to cooperate with federal law enforcement with regard to helping us enforce our immigration laws, fine, you do that, but you put at risk, again, federal funding. If you're in a situation where because there is a crime element to illegal immigration and because you have people who are in this country illegally who are committing crimes, if you don't want to cooperate with us in helping identify people who've been arrested and helping us try to do our job and deport them, I think it is more than reasonable to say, all right, that's the decision you're making, but be prepared to lose federal money. Again, I, I don't want to get into the details about whether or not Milwaukee County is technically a sanctuary city or not, but I want to talk about the general theory. Is the Trump administration wrong in saying, hey, if you're not going to cooperate with us on immigration, be prepared to lose money that comes for a crime prevention efforts? That's the way, that's the carrot, that's the stick. And I think the Trump administration is completely correct to do this. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. It's 922, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. President Trump will mark his 100th day in office later this week, and he calls the measurement a ridiculous standard. Steve Scafidi says he's dead wrong. Do you agree? Weigh in during Scafidi and Bill Stat, 1235 this afternoon. All right, on Friday, the Justice Department, the U.S. Justice Department, sends letters to a number of jurisdictions, including Milwaukee County, saying, if you 
go ahead and continue to be or act as a sanctuary city, you are going to lose Justice Department funding for various anti-crime programs. Now, Chris Abley and John Chisholm deny that Milwaukee County is a quote-unquote sanctuary city. You wouldn't necessarily know that if you... If you listen to resolutions that the county board has passed, but as as it applies in the real world, I, I don't know whether it is or not. But Chisholm and Abley are just irate at the idea that, all right, we, we would lose Justice Department money for crime prevention. How terrible that would be. Well, okay, my, my answer to that is very simple. If you don't want to lose the Justice Department money, then make sure that you comply with the law. Make sure that you are cooperating. And I understand they say we're, we're following the law, but there are other communities that clearly are not. They've just made the decision that we don't want to cooperate with immigration because we think this is it's just more politically popular to be on the other side of the issue, and, and we don't see the relationship between illegal immigration and crime. Well, it's difficult to believe that anybody can really make that argument with a straight face. That's what John Chisholm is trying to do. But I think it is perfectly reasonable, again, for the federal government to take this position. This is not unlike the debate that happened a number of years ago with the 21-year-old drinking age. Um, The states have the right to set the drinking age at any age that they want. But what the federal government said is, fine, we believe this is a highway safety issue. If you do not establish a 21-year-old drinking age, fine, you can do that, Wisconsin. You can do that, Illinois. You can do it, Mississippi. But you're going to lose federal highway funding. This is the same argument. It is, fine, you don't want to cooperate in helping get illegal people who are in this country illegally who have been arrested. You don't want to cooperate with us, that us being customs or immigration. You don't want to cooperate with us being able to arrest these people and then deport them. Fine, that is a decision you are making. But you're going to make that and put at risk your you know, federal funding for crime prevention. It is the carrot and the stick approach. It is, in my opinion, perfectly reasonable. And when you have entities, for example, like the Milwaukee County Board, that decide they are going to pass these rambling manifestos talking about how they do not want to cooperate with federal immigration officials, that comes, there is a cost to that. Now, whether actually, like I say, David Clark follows that and whether or not milwaukee county is really a sanctuary county for example i i I don't know you can work out the details of it but when you decide that you're going to saber rattle and do things like this you have to understand that there are consequences and one of the consequences is that hey you know maybe you're going to lose that federal dough and if you don't want to lose the federal dough follow the law is that too much to ask 926 Jeff Wagner 620 WTMJ Milwaukee under fire for cleaning out quote unquote homeless encampments we'll discuss stick around It's 928 Jeff Wagner 620 WTMJ what is it like to book the biggest bands in the world at your festival where does Summerfest go next after celebrating the 50th this year here from Summerfest CEO Don Smiley and VP of Entertainment Bob Babish as they sit down with John McCure for a special WTMJ community conversation it begins 5 o'clock today on Wisconsin's Afternoon News and a very special thank you again to both Bob and Don who were two of our featured guests at Insight uh, 2017 last Wednesday uh, they kind of stole the show they were just and I tell watching the two of them rip off off each other was a lot of fun. Okay, Jane Metnier, before you do the news, here, here's one of my stories for today. 
Okay, Hershey. I hope people are sitting down here. Did you see this? Hershey's has decided that they want to try to make their candy more healthy. Yes. <laughs> I mean, okay, I, I've never thought of chocolate candy. Right. I mean, okay, it, it's sort of like saying, I, I don't know, we're going to try to make you know beer a health food. Here's the story. Um, okay, Hershey's announced on Friday that within five years, half of all their individually wrapped standard and king-sized candy will be 200 calories or, or fewer. To lower the count, Hershey's will reformulate its chocolate treats, introduce new ones, and inj- adjust the sizes of certain products. So, like the Hershey bars will be smaller. They're downsizing, yes. By the same time, king-size bars will be designated to be more easily shared or split and saved for later. For example, instead of com- uh, com- coming in one large piece, candy might be broken into two or three pieces in the package. Oh, like that's going to change a lot. Yeah, they're already doing that with Snickers bars. Like the, the king-size Snickers right? bars, now they're cut in half. Okay, so it's you're... still in one package, but now you have two... Snickers bars. Oh, okay, I mean they're going to reformulate this stuff. It's chocolate, all right. When, when I, if you're if you're going to get a Hershey's Kisses or a Hershey's bar or whatever, it's chocolate for goodness sakes. I don't I don't want I don't want new Coke. I don't want them reformulating things. If I want chocolate, I want the chocolate. I am I am an adult. I am willing to accept that. Okay, this is probably not necessarily a health choice or whatever. You know, I mean, I don't need the twenty five pound Nestle's Crunch Bar that you get in the movie theaters. I, I'm willing to go along with that. But for goodness sakes, they're trying to turn them into health things. Um, uh, you know, right? Um, they're also unveiling a plan to put easy the re- easy to read front of package calorie la- labels on all of their on all of their Hershey bars and stuff. Okay. Well, let's just suck all the joy out of yeah, it. That's exactly right. I mean, it's, okay, this is, right, it's, it's the calorie thing. All right, okay, so I want a chocolate bar. I'm going to I'm gonna look at this and say, oh, my gosh, this is 240 calories. I'm not going to go with it. No, it's a chocolate bar. Hershey's reducing sweets. I guess what really caught my attention is I don't care about the disclosure, but what really caught my attention is they're going to reformulate the stuff. How do you reformulate chocolate, and does anybody want to eat it? They're going to add kale or something <laughs> horrible. Right, we're going to take a superfood. It's going to be chocolate. Uh, uh, yes, Hondo says the kale crunch. I'm just saying. All right, coming up in just a couple minutes, Milwaukee going after a bunch of homeless people who are shooting heroin and defecating under the bridges. I was in one of the, I was down in the area yesterday, as a matter of fact. Nine thirty-six. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. We're just a few days away from the NFL draft. Who will the Packers pick? Who should they pick? Wayne Larrabee dissects the possibilities in his latest podcast, The Play by Play, up now on WTMJ.com and also on the WTMJ mobile act app. Um, also, thanks to Wayne and Larry McCarran for joining me at Insight. That was a fun segment as well. Um, and the podcast page, like I say, go to WTMJ.com. You'll see our, our mobile app session. I know lots of people are listening to the podcast. I know a lot of people are downloading my show podcast. I appreciate that very much. All right. So, Yesterday, I, I I pride myself on trying to be open minded, and I see eyes rolling all across the you know the fifty state region. But I, I do I try to, and I, I also try to reassess my position to determine if I've been too hard on something or, or or not hard enough or whatever. 
And over the last couple weeks, we've done several topics about how just incredibly dangerous it is to drive around the city of Milwaukee and how you have a number of streets that you just take your life into your hands because of the way people drive and running red lights and all these things. It led to a lengthy discussion that we had on Friday about all these aldermen who are correctly, in my opinion, calling on Milwaukee to change its police pursuit policy because now you have people driving 80, 90 miles an hour. Um, They... The, the cops see them, they'll just drive away, and the cops won't be able to follow them because of the idiotic policy that Ed Flynn has put in place at the urging of Tom Barrett. Um, it's just, and, and so, I mean, it's staggering. The first three months of this year, with some 1,600 non-pursuits, people are just flying away from it. So anyhow, I, 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 you know, and I, I've told the story about I was driving down Silver Spring a few weeks ago. So last night, the woman I'm dating, it was her daughter's birthday. And so she wanted, and so we we went out with her daughter and her daughter's son and the two grandkids. It was very nice. And they wanted to go to, uh, we went to the Cheesecake Factory at Mayfair. Okay, so it, it, it was it was very nice. We went had a very nice birthday dinner. Happy birthday, Amy. And then afterwards, we went, the, the two of us, we went across. There was a little bar that I like across and had one drink. So it's it's 8.30 or so. Time to go home. i got to work on the show, things like that. So I, the quickest way for me to get home from where I live in North Shore to Bay, from, from Mayfair is rather than taking the freeway, especially since <clears throat> you, you can't get on the freeway now. If you want to go south on like 45, 41, you get to the zoo interchange, you can't go east. That the, the only way that makes sense is to take city streets. So the quickest way is for me to go high, north on Highway um, 100 or Mayfair Road or whatever they call that, and then um, – and then turn off on Hampton and go across Hampton. Now, Hampton is one of these streets where a lot of people say hey, they don't necessarily want to. T-. But, okay, I, I'm tired. I've, I've got another. I've got a couple hours of work I have to do. And so, all right, I, I just want to get home. And, and maybe I think, maybe I have been overstating it. Maybe my experience and maybe the experience of everybody who's been calling in about, like, driving on city streets in Milwaukee, maybe that those are just aberrations. No. <laughs> okay, so this is like 9 o'clock at night, so I turn on to Hampton. I, 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 Hondo is producing the show. I swear I'm not making this up. Okay, so I, I'm driving east on Hampton. I, I've gone about a block and a half. The speed limit is 35. I am driving around 40. So, I mean, I, I'm not crawling, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in that, that comfortable sort of speed limit. I swear, hand in the air. Okay, it's 9 o'clock, so now it's, it's kind of dark. Let's see, the the first two cars within a block and a half that passed me, neither of which had their lights on, um, that passed me, I'm in the right lane, they're in the left lane. I, I believe they were going faster than 60, but I, let's just say 60. I mean, it's like a drag race. I mean, these cars, no lights on, driving at least 60. And I'll, I'll say at least it might have been faster. I, I'm, I'm watching this. Okay, so then, all right, there's that. Go another about 10 blocks. Come up to this red light. <laughs> red light. Oh, my God. I, I'm, I'm coming up to it, and it's. I, I watch the light turn yellow, and I'm like a block or so or two blocks away. I watch it turn yellow. I'm now in the left lane. I'm watching these cars in the right lane. Not one, not two, but three driving, accelerating, probably 70 miles an hour, blow through the, these red lights. It's like a chain. I mean, I feel like I'm the chump because I have 
realize this is going to stop, that, that it's going to turn red. So I'm watching these cars go through the red light. I'm thinking, boy, I'm glad that nobody coming the other way didn't just immediately, when the light turned green, go in, because they would have been hit. But it's like one story after another. Don't even get me into the people making the illegal U-turns. I mean, it's just, and this is, again, it's this 15-minute stretch going you know, from the North Shore uh, down Hampton. I'm thinking, my God, I'm not surprised that we have all these people who are getting hit and killed by these hit-and-run drivers, because... Whether it's people not knowing how to drive, no, that's not it, just deciding that they can drive like complete idiots and know that they're going to get away with it. And by the way, this isn't a knock on the Milwaukee Police Department, but this entire stretch, I don't see a cop. There's not a police officer in sight, not a one. But I understand why they might not be emphasizing traffic enforcement because... They know that the bad guys are just going to run away from them, and they know that Tom Barrett and Ed Flynn won't let them follow. So if people think I have been too hard on, like, drafting conditions and trying to drive through the city of Milwaukee, I gave it another chance last night. And insanity, what they say, is doing the same thing over and over again and being surprised that the results aren't different. I knew I was taking my life into my hands, but we did that nonetheless. All right. Here is the story. I, I actually I heard about this. And I actually went and checked one of these things out over over the weekend. There are a number of they euphemistically call them homeless encampments, and what what they what they are is there's a bunch of homeless people. Why the folks are homeless? Who knows? Many of whom have alcohol or drug problems, who take up residence under bridges and overpasses. And there's a couple very notorious ones. The one that I drove past the other day over the weekend was um, under, it's a it's a freeway, it's beneath a freeway overpass. It's 6th and Clybourne. So, you know, um, well, I mean, you, you can picture I mean, where Clybourne is. Clybourne is a couple blocks to the, um, what's south of Wisconsin Avenue. So there's a freeway overpass. And what happens is you have a number of, people who take up residence under these overpasses and what they do is they pull mattresses in um they attract rats um they are strewn and i mean strewn i i I saw this description i went down to see it there is garbage all over um there are used syringes apparently i didn't get out of my car to look but i saw all the garbage empty liquor bottles you know soaked mattresses um, there is apparently human waste that's there. These, uh, and I, I don't know how to describe it any more nicely. Um, and now what they're saying is, surprise follows surprise, they're attracting rats. You know, because, okay, you've got, you know, half-eaten food and you've got all this stuff. And this is, it's a place where people flop. And, you know, they, they bring their possessions and their shopping carts and they hang out under the, the freeway overpass. Um, the city is now saying uh, enough is enough. Apparently, I, I think technically this belongs, these areas belong to the State Department of Transportation, but you have to do this in conjunction with the city. So um, last week, the police went out. Now, they didn't just clean these things out right away. What they did is they posted signs that said, no trespassing. And they, they said that you, you know, anything that's here has to be removed within 10 days. And if it's not removed within 10 days, presumably the city... Hopefully people wearing gloves and all sorts of hazmat gear will go and will drag all this stuff out. 
because it's attracting rodents. Uh, again, it's all these different problems. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage uh, talk and text line. I think, and, and some people might suggest that the city is being heartless in doing this. Um, here, here's, here's the bottom line. You cannot allow half dozen or a dozen people to flop under city overpasses. I mean, we call these homeless encampments. These are just people who decide that they're going to live under a, a bridge. You, you can't allow the liquor. You can't allow the drug use. You can't allow the human excrement. It attracts rodents. It is unsafe. It is dangerous. It is unsightly. And I think I think these kind of crackdowns are long overdue. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this a war on the homeless, or is it a public safety matter that needs to be addressed? I say it is a public safety matter. You cannot allow people to live under freeway overpasses. And candidly, I think by giving people 10 days to get their crap out from under them is more than reasonable. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And by the way, it doesn't do much for the image of downtown Milwaukee if you've got these sort of like flop houses, the outdoor flop houses under bridges. 414-799-1620. I think the city and the State Department of Transportation are doing absolutely the right thing. If anything, I think they would have been justified in just going and cleaning out all the stuff um, even without giving 10 days notice. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? 949, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Uh, the City of Milwaukee and the State Department of Transportation are saying enough is enough. There's a number of freeway under uh, oh, you know overpasses, the bridges. There's, there's people that have decided they're going to like set up housekeeping under some of these. I went and saw one the, the other day, and it's like an open-air flop house. There's liquor bottles all over. Apparently, they say they're attracting rats now. Um, and you have a bunch of people who've just decided they're going to take up residence under there. City is saying, okay, you've got 10 days to move. Get your stuff out, and stuff is in kind of quotation marks, um, or else you know we're going to come in and we're going to clean it out. I say it's about time. Tim in Milwaukee, you're first. Good morning. Hello. Hi, Tim. Oh, hi. Okay. You just said I heard that the, the city is giving 10 days. So yep. Clean them out. All right, that's understandable, and I totally agree with you that it's just a mess for Milwaukee because it's just not good to look at. When a tourist comes, you don't want to see homeless people all over the street. Well, it's also not safe for anybody. I mean, oh, they're yeah. attracting rats, and you know, you've got you know, you've got apparently rampant drug use that's going on there. It's just look, and I, I understand that homelessness is an issue. I, I understand that, um, and I don't know if the people that are living under the freeway overpasses are homeless by choice because of mental illness or drug problems or whatever. But you just you can't allow people. I don't think just to flop under. Under bridges, for example, you can, no city can allow that to happen. Okay, you say that you can't allow that, but who is helping them? Who is helping them into a good decision, a good path, helping them get a job? You clearly can see that they are, can't do it themselves. They are under a bridge doing drugs. We need some people, volunteer work, helpers, jobs for them. Well, I mean, okay, but just just so we under, but Tim, I mean, just, just so we understand each other, there, there are there are a number of groups. That, that are out there that, that work to deal with the homeless. Now, like I say, I, I, I don't know if – I don't know what's going on. I know if the people in this particular situation, why they're, 
why they're choosing to live under uh, under bridges as opposed to, I don't know, try to find homeless shelters or, or whatever. I mean, th- there are a number of groups. The, the police has an outre- homeless outreach team. Um, you know, Milwaukee County has a, you know, a, a consortium of homeless service providers that are out there. And I don't know why the people are choosing that, okay, it, I mean, I, I think probably because in some respects it's just easier. We're going to flop here. This is the lifestyle. And, and that that's fine. I'm not against trying to get people help. I'm not. But I think at the same time, you can't allow a dozen people to just take up residence. under. It, it's attracting rats, for God's sake. You know, I mean, you just can't allow that. In other cities, matter of fact, one of the people who just wrote in our text line correctly pointed out that a big fire in Atlanta that was set by, you know, people who were squatters in one of these sort of quote-unquote homeless encampments. I don't think you do people who are homeless any favors at all by saying, okay, here, we're going to allow 10, 12, however many people, uh, many of whom are using drugs or whatever, to live in rat-infested areas. And by the way, what about the people and the businesses you know, in the surrounding community? Do you want them attracting rodents? Now, I, I, I get there's another issue. You know, How do you convince people to get help? I understand that that's an issue, and like I say, my guess is there's, there's some issues with alcoholism and mental illness and drug abuse that are going on here, but... No city can just simply allow people to flop under a freeway overpass. Let's talk to Denny in Fox Lake here on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. You know what? Everybody that's going to be calling in is going to be agreeing with what you're saying. I do, too. You know, you cannot let that, that happen. I mean, geez, these people are going to kill themselves, if not other people. Yeah. What you're not doing, and you didn't even get out of your car. You stayed in your car. That area is pretty tough down there. Yeah, I wasn't getting out of my car. Trust me, buddy. <laughs> And, and by the way, I don't apologize for that. Yep. No, no, you better be armed if you do. But you know what? Uh, if a person is stuck under in those conditions, you should be talking to them, not us out here that are living in you know, heaven. It's those people that are living in hell that you should be talking to and find out why are you here? What is it going to take to get you out of here? Blah blah blah. Whatever you know, whatever uh, support you can give them, great. And it does need to be cleaned up. Well, see, and that right, and I mean, and that's why talking to the wrong people. You should have got out of your car, maybe with some security around. Well, no, no, but here, I mean, here, here's the thing. Look, that that I fully acknowledge. And solving the problems of homelessness is at a pay grade that, that's higher than mine. And there's lots of reasons why people are, are homeless. Some of it, like I say, is mental illness or alcoholism or drug abuse. Some of it is just people who have you know, bad circumstances and things like that. I get that there's all these different factors that go into it. And, and there, there are groups, there are agencies, there are, there are all sorts of places that people can go to deal with this. For whatever reason, some people make the choice, and again, we can decide why that is, that they... Rather than trying to find the shelter, um, what what they prefer to do is they just they, they don't want people telling them where to go. They don't like the rules, the shelter. They just rather flop under a freeway overpass. So I, I understand that this is a complicated dynamic. But from the perspective of of a city, you cannot allow this to happen. And I think that the candidly, I think the city has been more than reasonable in giving notice. And that they focused on two of these quote unquote homeless encampments. I think what they really need to do is just to start aggressively saying, we're just not going to allow this to happen. You know, you, you cannot do this. It is not good for neighborhoods. It's not, we're not helping people who are homeless by allowing 
you to flop with a bunch of other drug addicts or alcoholics to the extent that that's at least some of the people that are there. We're, we're just we're, nothing good is going to come of this. Nothing good is going to come from the community out to the community, and nothing good is going to come to the people who are homeless who are living in these type of conditions. And if it means we're going to clean out this place and we're not going to allow you to be there. So we perhaps force you to take advantage of some of the community services that are there. That, that's all to the better. That's all to the better. It is not being charitable. It is not being humane to let people live in these type of conditions. And it's attracting rats. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hey, this homeless encampment, the one we're talking about, it's really not that far from where Tom Barrett's trolley line is going to run. So, I mean, you know, that's that that could be, okay, here, come come ride the trolley and... You know, you, you get to, to see some of the other picturesque areas of Milwaukee. Now, the bottom line is you can't let people live under underpasses and attract rats and, and do drugs and heroin. You just can't allow them to do that. And you're not you're not a bad guy if you decide, okay, we're going to clean this out. Coming up in just a couple minutes, one state says no to ban the box. I'll tell you all about it. <laughs> It's 10.08, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, coming up in about 20 minutes. Is it worth shutting down the government to get money to build a border wall? We will discuss that. But I want to start with this conversation about ban the box. Um, let me back into this. In Wisconsin, if you are a criminal, you, you belong to a protected class. But believe it or not, in Wisconsin, the law says that employers cannot discriminate against someone based on a criminal conviction unless unless that criminal conviction is substantially related to the job they are applying for. Most obvious examples, if you have somebody who's you know, convicted as a child molester, you don't have to hire them if they apply to work at a daycare. If you have somebody who has been convicted of embezzling money, you don't have to hire them as a bookkeeper. But, but otherwise, as a general rule, um, criminal convictions cannot be a basis for not hiring someone. That's not true in, I want to say most states, but in Wisconsin, we have extended uh, protection to, to criminals. Um, nevertheless, it's in Wisconsin and elsewhere, um, like I say, if the conviction is substantially related, it could be a basis for denying employment. All right. Um, many governments and many private employers ask about criminal history. There is typically, if you are filling out an application for a job, there will be a, a box that asks if you have ever been convicted of, of a crime. And then it asks you to explain that. You know, that that's the box. Um, many states and many local government entities, counties, municipalities, etc., have passed legislation which bans the box. It doesn't allow the it doesn't allow the employer and typically in most cases but not all it's public employers, but in some places it also bans private employers from asking about somebody's criminal history on the application. If somebody gets to a later stage in the hiring process, Obviously, you're able to ask them about their criminal history. You're able to run a background check. But the box has been, in many cases, it's been banned. And the idea behind this, the thinking is, well, there's a lot of employers out there that when, legal or not, if they see that somebody has been convicted of a crime, 
the application is automatically going to get put into the do not hire pile. So the idea is if you don't allow them to ask about criminal history up front, maybe if they do a follow-up or somebody gets an interview, there will be a more a more likely chance that they will say, okay, I'm going to take a chance. I see this person sitting across the desk from me. I understand that maybe they're worth you know, giving them a chance or whatever. I'm not going to hold it against them, so you would hire them. But if you have to just answer that question, have you ever been convicted of a crime, please explain, you, you won't even get that interview. So an most of the ban-the-box laws are, are for public hiring, although, like I say, some are for private hiring. Uh, Indiana, where um, Vice President Pence is from, um, Indiana is a poised to pass a law which would prohibit communities from banning the box. In other words, it would say to local governments, to municipalities, whatever, you you, you can't stop a community from asking that because that's the trend now. We're going to ban the box. This would be a state law that says, no, you, you can't do that. Communities can decide if they want to ask for this, they should be allowed to do it. Right, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I want to talk about the, the broader question here, and that is at the initial application stage, do employers have a right to ask that question? question and you might disagree with me on this but i think i think the answer is yes i think that that is information that they should be entitled to know during the application process and if they abuse it if they misuse it well okay fine then that's a matter where you can sue them or do whatever but just like i think in an application process employers should have the right to ask your work history or whatever, I think that they should have a right to ask if you have ever been convicted of a crime or not. Because, for example, why why go down the application process? Why even bother spending time trying to figure out if you know somebody's going to get a job if at the end of the day their criminal record is something that is going to be disqualifying? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, and if an employer by the way, says, hey, I don't care about the person's criminal history or this isn't relevant or it's not substantially related or I don't care, I want to give somebody a chance, I say go with God. That, that's, that's a great thing. But should employers not be able to ask this information up front? To me, this just puts a burden on employers and causes a lot of, of wasted time. Hey, I'm going to schedule four people for interviews. Oh, as it turns out, two of them have a criminal history that makes them unsuitable for the particular job. Why shouldn't they be able to figure that out up front? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Where do you come down on the ban the box issue? We discuss next. It's 1014. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1017, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, Sean in Milwaukee. Sean, good morning. Good morning. What do you think? So here's my concern. If I, if I take time out of my day to interview somebody, and I, and I hire people frequently, I have that cost of my time, the, the paperwork, the processing, all those kind of things, plus the, the cost of a background check is fairly expensive. Right. And especially in the public sector, who ends up paying for that time and, and those background checks? So I would definitely have a concern there. Well, it, well, exactly. And again, now see, the, the argument is, well, some otherwise qualified people might not get an in, a second interview or whatever. But the truth of the matter is, 
you know, if, if I mean, if I'm an employer and I'm trying to wade through all these different resumes and I've got somebody that because of the criminal conviction is going to be disqualified, I'd be mad as heck if all of a sudden I brought them in and now I, you know, it's like, okay, you, you mean you've got a conviction for embezzlement? You know, you're not going to get this job. I mean, why, why bother? Why make him go through that? Right. I work in I work in banking, and there are several background issues that would make it absolutely prohibitive to get the job. So to go through two or three interviews, background check, that pops up. It was all a giant waste of time, regardless of how I feel about the camera. Yeah, and and again, the I mean, right. Th- thanks for calling. Now, see, I I get the argument that if you do something like this. You you make it easier to discriminate against people, and like I said, not all states have protections uh, based on your criminal conviction. Wisconsin does, and I appreciate that it makes it perhaps arguably a little more different, difficult to, I don't know, try to prosecute a, a case or something like that. But but the bottom line is. Even if you get a, even if you get an interview, I have trouble believing that if somebody's not going to hire you because of your criminal conviction, the fact that you've come in and you've gotten an interview or you've gotten to the background stage, that that's going to make a significant difference to this. Christina in Kalkana. Christina, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I just I am someone who actually has experienced the issue mm-hmm. of not being hired because of this. So... It is not fair because some when you mark that box and some places, their system actually kicks the application out before the interviewer has the possibility of seeing it. And two, you don't have to mark a box because when you apply, your Social Security number goes on there. Your employer can look you up. You don't have to. If they felt the need to do that, then they can. So what's the harm of marking the box then? What's the harm of marking the box then? If if they're gonna if they're gonna but that's my point. They're going to find it out regardless. Whether it's like you're talking about, if you put the social security number and then they run a uh, any sort of background check or a follow up, they're going to find it out. So what's what what do you gain by not allowing them to find it out at the early stages? Because the system itself kicks it out before it even gets the interview, which makes it so they can't even make a decision based on that in the first place. Well, when you say the system, though, it's because it's because and let's talk about a state outside of Wisconsin where you 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 can where you can turn down people because of any criminal conviction if they're. If, if the employer has just made that decision, we we don't want to hire people who've been convicted of a felony. And maybe that's a dumb position. I mean, I'm not going to argue that one way or the other. But no, if the, I know. But if the employer has made that decision, that that's what they want to do, then what wouldn't you want to be, if you've got a felony conviction and you know this company's not going to hire you because that's their policy, wouldn't you want to just not waste your time with them? Um. The thing with that is, again, the company has every single right, or the potential employer has every single right to look someone up. Right. They're going to anyway if they are a responsible potential employer. Okay? Yep. So, the harm in, again, marking the box, it goes through a computer system. You don't even get the chance to be seen to explain what the situation might or might not have been. And when they put on there, if you mark the box and you put yes, and it says yes, explain, they give you one line to explain it, which means just put your crime there. It doesn't give you an opportunity to actually talk about the circumstances. You don't make it in there to tell the the potential employer or even your current employer who you might be getting called on it about now. Right. 
you don't even get the chance to stand up for yourself. Right, I, and I understand that, Christine. And I guess, I mean, thanks. I guess here, here's my point, though. If you have a company, and again, let, let's let's talk about a company out of, out of state, because again, Wisconsin says you can't discriminate against people based on criminal conviction unless it's substantially related. But let's say you're in a state where there's no law like that. The company has a policy: we don't hire convicted felons. Right? Maybe it's a dumb policy, but that's their policy. And that's why they have this procedure which says, like you're talking about, you check that box, you automatically get your, your application automatically gets kicked. Okay, well, having the box or not doesn't make any difference. If the company's policy is we're not hiring convicted felons, okay, fine, you don't have that box in, you then come in, you get the interview, you come in and say, oh, by the way, I'm a convicted felon, and they say the company's policy is not to hire you. I guess that's my, my point. I, I don't think it makes any difference for for those types of circumstances. Now, in a state like Wisconsin, I can see that it might make a little bit of difference. More importantly, it might make it easier for you to have a basis to sue an employer if you, you get that second interview and then you disclose that you have the criminal conviction and then they don't hire you. But a, as a general rule, I, I don't I guess I just don't intellectually believe that there's going to be that many people who I mean, I guess I'm deciding with the employers in this particular situation because it's it's expense. The hiring decision is so important for employers because once you bring somebody on board, if you're going to get rid of them, there's all sorts. If, if you make a mistake in the hiring thing, and I think if you talk to a lot of people in human resources, they will tell you, you know, you make a mistake in hiring, and it really can cause huge headaches and problems down the line if you end up hiring the wrong person. And all I'm saying is that I just, if you've got, for example, a company that has this policy, right or wrong, that we're, you know, we, we don't want to hire people with, you know, criminal records or whatever, how does it benefit anybody, whether it's the potential applicant or the company, if that's what their policy is going to be, by by not just putting this all up front and allowing people to, to make these types of decisions? Now, there is the second question about how do people get a second chance and, you know, should more companies be more willing to take risks on people who have convictions? And what about people who have convictions from 25 years ago for, you know, selling pot when they were 19 years old? I understand all that. But to me, the answer isn't hiding information from an employer. The information is disclosing it and then figuring out what you do with that information because it's going to come out sooner or later. It's 1027, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hey, here the hometown call as the Bucks Raptors series returns to Toronto this evening by being part of WTMJ's Bucks Playoff Watch Party. Join us at the Bosch Tavern in Hales Corners this evening as the Bucks look to regain the series lead and as the radio call of Ted Davis echoes throughout the building. Plus, win some great prizes throughout the night. It's WTMJ's Bucks Playoff Watch Party. Check it out. It is at the Box Bosch Tavern in Hales Corners. That should be a lot of fun, and you hope that the uh, hope that the Bucks are able to pull this off. Okay, coming up in just a couple minutes, should we shut down the government to build the wall? We will discuss. A story that I have been following for several months is somebody who owns a Volkswagen, not a Volkswagen diesel, but a Volkswagen. You know, everybody's familiar with the, the story where you had 
this incredible conspiracy by, by VW to uh, essentially cheat on U.S. emission rules and actually cheat on on emission rules um, for other in other countries as well. Long story short, what VW did is they, they, they marketed themselves. Hey, we, we've got we've got these clean diesel engines. And these things, they're, they're just great. You get high performance. You get all these great deals with this great mileage, high performance. And, I mean, it, it just these things don't pollute, or they don't pollute as much as the traditional uh, engine is. Well, it was all a scam. What they had done was apparently they had some microchip in these things that the engine ran one way, except when you hooked it up to the, the car emission testing things, and then the engine ran in a different way. When you hooked it up to the car emission testing things, it passed with flying colors. But that's not the way the engine ran when you got it out on the road. When you got the car out on the road, well, it ran fine, it was great, but it wasn't meeting the emission standards. And this was the, this monster fraud that VW had ended up perpetrating. I, perpetrating. I know when we talked about this, there were a lot of people who owned VW uh, diesel engines who didn't care about it. They loved the cars. Didn't matter, um, and and I appreciate all that, but that's not how VW marketed these particular things. And as a result of this, you had the the bottom kind of fall out. Um, it, it hurt VW as a brand very very badly, but it also for everybody who purchased one of these cars, the value of your car decreased dramatically. So VW cut this deal where they'll buy back the cars and cost them a bunch. On Friday. VW also agreed to pay a 2.8 B as in billion dollar criminal penalty in the United States for cheating on these diesel emission tests. This was part of an overall pre-agreement, a uh, plea agreement, um, again, encompassing what VW did for about 600,000 diesel cars that they sold in the United States. Um, separately, VW is paying 1.5 billion in a civil case, um, and they're spending $11 billion to buy back cars and offer other compensation. So uh, this, I understand that there was this temptation to cheat, but a lot of times we talk about the deterrent effect. You know, you try to send a message that, you know, don't do this. If you do this um, and you get caught, look what happened to someone else. You don't want to try it. This is a case where maybe there is a deterrent because, I mean, the VW brand damaged badly. You look at the numbers you're talking about, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of $15 billion in payouts. When all said and done, makes you wonder whether it was worth it. All right, coming up, speaking of worth it, is it worth shutting down the government to build the wall? We discuss that next. Ten thirty-five, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. As President Trump marks his one hundredth day in office, join our John McCure this Sunday night for a special one-hour in-depth look at the first one hundred. In addition to getting expert analysis both locally and nationally, John will look back at some of the president's key moments from the first one hundred days, including last week's visit to Kenosha. The first one hundred, hosted by John McCure, it is this Sunday, eight p.m. Tune in to six twenty, WTMJ. 
I was actually going to open up the phone lines on this, but Hondo, I, I just you, you can't even get. I don't think you can get into a discussion of it. The answer is, of course, they should get the money. Um, remember last week, we, the the nation was looking for the Facebook killer, the the guy who you know committed the various murders in Cleveland, and then you know posted the things on 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 Facebook, and then had disappeared. Well, what happened is um, last week, Erie, Pennsylvania, um, eleven o'clock in the morning. Um, the guy's going through a, a drive-through at a McDonald's, like ordering French fries and chicken McNuggets. Um, the the drive the worker at the drive-through window says, "Boy, th- I, this this sure looks like him." And then um, they, they they tell the managers at the McDonald's. They call the the police. They try to stall the guy at the McDonald's drive-through window. Which, of course, if you've been through McDonald's drive-through windows, you know that that. That can happen. We don't have the French fries yet or whatever. Ultimately, the guy drives off, but they make the call. What happens is the police then respond to it. There's a brief high-speed chase, and the guy ends up killing himself. Remember, that's the whole story. Um, Before that, federal authorities had promised a $50,000 reward for anyone providing information that leads to the apprehension and conviction of the the Facebook killer. Um, This becomes a bit of an issue because... He wasn't actually convicted. He killed himself, um, which may be a technicality, maybe not. But there's no question, and I think law enforcement would acknowledge this, that this guy might still be on the streets were it not for the person at the drive through window you know, who, who called the police and said, hey, we, we think that this might be him. I would think it's pretty self-evident that that's – you know, when you put out a reward le- leading to you know the arrest and capture – um, this this is the information. This was the crucial information. It was because this McDonald's worker had the foresight, recognized him, alerted the authorities, and then they were able to investigate. And to me, it doesn't make any difference whether he was arrested or died in a shootout or killed himself or whatever. The reason that he was ultimately identified and taken off the streets, whether it's capture or, in this case, the, the, the killing, was because of this tip from the McDonald's employee. And um, it's still a little bit unclear as to whether or not they're going to get money. And part of the, again, it might be the technicality. Well, it didn't, you know, he killed himself. He wasn't, you know, arrested and captured. But the reason he was identified is because of this. And candidly, rewards are designed to encourage people to do the right thing. This particular woman recognized the guy she provided the information which led to him being taken off the streets he's the one that chose how he wanted to go out and i i think it would be just horrible if she didn't get the 50 grand all right speaking of of horrible that we are we are again and we've been through this it seems to me i mean i've, I've been doing a radio show in this market for for close to 20 years and it seems to me that every year, every two years, we get to this point where the, the government is on the brink of a, a shutdown. Now, shutdown is a relative term because the government never really shuts down, but the government runs out of money, at least on paper. And so what happens is some federal employees get laid off, so they don't have to go into work. Uh, as layoff, is, they're, they're, they're told not to come into work, but they end up getting paid anyway, so they, they don't lose any sort of money at all. Some 
typically high-profile government things end up shutting down, and there's, uh, again, all this different consternation and finger-pointing and things like that. We are coming up on another one of those times at the end of, of this week. Government funding expires Friday, and the Trump administration wants to use this deadline as a point of leverage with with the Democrats. Um, I don't think that I think most of us thought that, especially with Republicans controlling the Senate and the House, that you, you were going to get some continuing resolution or something that was going to keep the government open. Like I said, the government never officially shuts down. But if you've lived through one of these things before, you know there's all this finger pointing, and it, it just it does not inspire confidence in the government. And it's ultimately, again, unproductive because, like I say, you don't save any money because federal workers who don't go into work, they end up getting paid anyways. Well, okay, here, here's the issue. I think a lot of people were under the impression that – there would be a continuing resolution or something which would continue to fund the government. President Trump is now saying, okay, not so fast. So, look, here, here's – if you want me to sign off on this, to, to keep the government open, I need a couple commitments. First of all, I want increased military spending. But more importantly, um, I, want, I, I want to have the money to build my wall or to get the wall started. Now, during the campaign, we all remember this, Donald Trump, that was one of his big issues, that he wanted to build a wall along the Mexican-United States border. I thought he was talking about it as a metaphor, but I was wrong. He wants to build this wall that's going to cost a ton of money. He said that he wanted he would get Mexico to pay for it. Mexico has said in no uncertain terms that it's not going to pay for it. He continues to say, okay, well, they're going to pay for it one way or the other, but now we're going to have to front the money. To, to at least get the wall started. So he wants that as a condition of signing off on anything that would keep the government operating. And that's the game of chicken that we're looking at. There's a lot of Republicans who recognize that President Trump ran on the wall issue, but think that the wall is, well, like the, the physical wall is kind of a silly idea. A lot of Democrats think the same thing. There's lawsuits. There's all sorts of geographic problems, and you have to seize all this land. But President Trump appears to be prepared to make this one of the, you know, phys- one of the lines in the sand that he's going to draw, that he wants to to uh, die on, saying, "All right, I'm I am willing to see the government, quote unquote, shut down unless we have at least preliminary funding for the wall built into any resolution that keeps the government open." All right. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Feel free to disagree with me, but I think it would be politically foolish to allow a government shutdown over an issue like the wall, which I'm not sure is practical in the first place, which is going to be the subject of years of litigation with regard to taking people's land and things like that. Also, from a political perspective, let's face it. I mean, Republicans right now um, are, are getting a lot of heat for a lot of different things. If the federal government shuts down, Republicans are going to own that. And do we really want to own that over this particular issue? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Is it worth shutting down the government to get money to start building the wall? I think, heck no. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on.
1047, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hey, did you miss last Wednesday night's Insight 2017 or couldn't catch the playback last Thursday? Well, do not worry. We've got everything up from the big night, every interview, and a photo gallery up now. It's on my show page at WTMJ.com and on the WTMJ mobile app. I also know a lot of people went back and said, we didn't get a chance to hear the whole thing or whatever, and we're listening. I also know a number of people were there who said, we want to hear how it sounded on the radio, so check it out. Um, I, I won't even identify some highlights, but uh, the section with Scott Walker and his wife, Tanette, and I, um, that was, I thought, really interesting. Uh, Larry and, and Wayne, always cool. Um, again, a lot of feedback on the interview we did with uh, Brad Schimmel, the Attorney General, talking about the opioid problem. One of the things I, I learned that he was saying is that it used to always be if you were selling your house, you, you were always told, okay, don't leave money, you're having an open house, don't leave money lying around the house. One of the things that he was saying is that they're just cautioning people um, go through your medicine cabinets and, and remove any prescription drugs because apparently this is one of these common things. You have people that will just go look at houses for the opportunity to get into somebody's bathroom and get into the medicine cabinet and see if they can find drugs to steal. I just I never heard that before, but I think that is, in fact, the case. So anyhow, you can check all that out on my show page at WTMJ.com and the WTMJ mobile app. All right, what we're talking about now, April 28th, the federal government runs out of money. Now, that's on paper. We, we've lived through these government shutdowns before. Republicans and Democrats are working on a stopgap funding bill, but President Trump is saber-rattling. He's saying, hey, I might not sign any sort of stopgap bill. I'm willing to shut down the government unless – unless this includes funding for this wall that I, I want to build, or at least preliminary funding that I originally said Mexico would pay for, but now you know we're going to need to make the commitment of you know however many billion dollars up front. 414-799-1620. I just think it would be political suicide and really, really dumb to shut down the government over this particular issue. Scott in Fond du Lac. Scott, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi there. Hi, Scott. I'm, I'm just. How are you doing today? I'm well, thank you. Good. I, I just. I totally agree. I think the the word shutdown is incredibly overused. Yep. I mean, if you're listening and you're not completely understanding what it is, shutdown is overused. But in order for him, Trump being to decide that he wants to shut down, unless he gets his funding for this wall, right. It's honestly ludicrous. I mean, I cannot possibly understand. I, like you, thought it was more like a... Metaphor, yeah. An illusion, a metaphor, an illusion, or whatever to, to build. But I can't I can't wrap my head around the fact that he honestly believed that the Mexicans were going to help, that Mexico was going to help pay for this. Well, well right. And I guess, I mean, thank, I mean see, I, I'm trying to think big picture as well. You're, you're coming up, the 100 days of the presidency ends April 29th, and... Um, I mean, obviously, the big accomplishment, the biggest accomplishment he's had outside of some executive orders that I've supported is getting Neil Gorsuch confirmed as a state Supreme Court justice, a United States Supreme Court justice. And, and he, deserve, he deserves to get a victory lap for that. Um, Health care, the report, reform, repeal, whatever, you know, that crashed and burned. Maybe it will be brought up. Maybe it won't. There's been no infrastructure bills. Maybe that's good. Maybe that's bad. Um, and, and now... He's going to be talking about tax reform on, on Wednesday. Nobody quite knows what he's going to say. But I guess I think if you're trying and, – and, okay, as long as we're looking at accomplishments, I, I think there, there's no question his willingness to use military power in Syria and in Afghanistan, I think, has sent a very, very positive message throughout the world um, and correctly has reversed 
some of the weak need stuff that you saw from the Obama administration. That, that said, that this has been it's been controversial, and I understand part of that is Trump, but part of it, or a large part of it, might be the mainstream media. But here's the reality of this: if the government shuts down, whatever that means, you know that the Republicans will will own that, and I just don't think mainstream America wants to go through this right now and they especially don't want to go through this on the the issue of of the wall i'm not saying president trump needs to abandon his idea of of building the the wall but this is a stopgap funding bill and i think it's a very very dangerous game of chicken i also think it's important for his administration to realize you you are trying to convey a, a sense of stability and that's been one of the issues over the first hundred days. You know, does America have clear policies and this, that, or, or the other thing? And some of the criticism that President Trump has gotten, in my opinion, has been fair. Some has been unfair. But you're trying to create a, a sense of, of stability. Well, okay, you, quote, unquote, the government runs out of money. That's the last thing that you, that's the last message that you want to send to people in this country and outside the country. Rob in McGuanago. Rob, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you today? I am well, thank you. Okay, what do you, is it worth shutting down the government to to get temporary money for this wall? Um, I think I think um, there's going to be political fallout no matter what happens. Yep. Um, even even the idea of whether the Republicans are going to own it or the Democrats are going to own it that just depends on the spins. Yeah, but we know. I, I mean, but I've seen that, Rob, and you've been around too. We, we've seen this movie before. You know what the spin machine? Every, it seems to me every shutdown that we've seen, it's yeah, been the Republicans that have had to own it. Right? They're the ones that the, Nas- the National Park well, Service has closed the oh, Washington yeah. Memorial. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. So uh, I think this is more about his promise, upholding his promise. He's trying to do right by the American people, and and one of the largest. Uh, for uh, one of the largest pieces of his campaign was building a wall and protecting the United States from undocumented immigrants. Right. But, of course, he also that, said Mexico was going to pay for that. So now we're, we're already, now it's like, okay, uh, now it's like, okay, I want I want us to come up true. with the money up front to pay for it, yeah. True, and, and, and I see that. But, however, if his whole Congress comes against him and doesn't allow him to deal, he can't walk into that deal. He can't say, hey, listen, yeah, Congress said they're going to pay for it, but that's, that's internal. Right. That's, so you're still going to pay for this. So, but if, but if, if we undercut him or Congress undercuts him, then, you know, that kind of loosens <laughs> the ability to deal. So well, I really think this is more about protection. It's more about uh, upholding his promise. Yeah, I guess that's I... That's why I think he'll fight. No, well, and Robin, I mean, obviously, I, I think he's trying to get leverage for that. I see, I don't... I don't see these necessarily as mutually exclusive. If if you sign a, ultimately you're going to have to have a budget agreement. I mean, what we're talking about right now, though, is you do some stopgap funding thing while you you get the whole budget stuff l- laid out. And I guess I just think that if I, I think it sends the wrong message if you allow the government to shut down on on this. And I guess I just don't know that this is the hill that you want to die on. I'm not saying he has to abandon his philosophy about the wall or abandon the funding of it, even though, again, I, I, I'm i not sure. A, a, a fit, look, here's the reality. A, a physical wall, it, it's 
even in the best case circumstances, it would be three plus years to build. It would cost billions of dollars, but it's not going to get done that quickly because you're going to have to be seizing all sorts of property. There's already a whole boatload of lawsuits from people who don't want to have their property taken from them. I mean, this this is a long term battle that is going to play out. And I guess I, I don't know that I necessarily see the urgency. I, I'm not saying President Trump needs to abandon his position on the wall. I'm just saying that right now, this is not this is not the issue that you necessarily want to shut down the government on, at least in my opinion. Now, he does have all sorts of, of leverage. Obamacare is still the law of the land. And, you know, if, if the government does shut down, theoretically, a lot of payments under the Affordable Care Act, um, there's not going to be the money to make them at least immediately. And, and there there is some leverage. And I do think... Once again, it's unfortunate that you have Democrats who just aren't aren't on board with this, and they're using this as a political football as well. But as somebody who wants to see President Trump succeed, and, and I do want to see President Trump succeed, I, I don't root against presidents. I, I don't, because when the president succeeds and people feel good about the country, well, okay, everything is better for all of us. The stock market does well. Everything is better for all of us. So I want to see the company country succeed. I'm just thinking I don't want to... I don't want to spend a weekend watching headlines of, gee, the Washington Monument is shut down, you know, no visitors to the Smithsonian's, any of those things, and it's so terrible, and it's President Trump's fault, all because of the wall. That's the way the spin will play out. You don't have to abandon the idea of building the wall. You just have to say, okay, this might not be the time to push for this particular fight. It's 1109, Jeff Wagner, 620. Glad to have you with us. All right. This segment is, what was the thing, like in Charlie Sykes' old Deep Tunnel Awards, that's a load of crappy crap crap. This is a load of crappy crap crap, literally. Interesting story that the Journal Sentinel has been writing, and actually a number of people have been following this as well. Uh, Wisconsin's dairy industry is is thriving. Now, I understand that there are challenges, and of course, the the latest issue has to do with free trade, and you have a number of particularly small dairy farms who are in danger of being driven out of business because what they do is they produce this ultra-filtered milk, and they've been selling that to Canada, and it's used to produce cheese, and what's happened is Canada has put on restrictions which now make it economically undesirable for Canadian farmers to buy it. And so you have all these these small dairy farms in particular who have come to depend on this, and now that market's been shut off, and they are, you know, they're demanding that the government do something. And, you know, when President Trump was here last week, I know, talking to Governor Walker, and I had an opportunity to talk to Governor Walker at Insight, and he was saying, hey, you know, we're we're trying to work on something like this. You know, we we want fair trade, and we think what Canada is doing is just unfair by imposing these different tariffs. Now, I don't know how this whole thing is going to play out. But so the dairy industry has challenges. But but at the same time, um, you know, the, the, the dairy dairy farming um, has, you know, has increased in, in some areas. And part of that is due to the way the dairy farming industry has changed. You can make an argument that 30 or 40 years ago, and by the way, let me just say this at the outset. I, I, I have a great deal of respect for people who are dairy farmers. Um, I, I, I've got, had an opportunity over the last couple decades to meet a number of people. That it, it, that's a hard way to make a living. 
Because first of all, you're you're dependent on what the milk prices are. So a lot of the stuff that's going on is, is outside of your control. But it's a hard way to make a living. Those cows need to be milked. They need to be milked multiple times a day. And those cows, they don't know if it's New Year's Day. They don't know if it's Christmas Eve. They don't know if it's the 4th of July. They just know that they need to be milked. And, I mean, it's this it's this constant work. I mean, and, it, and it's 24-7, and it's 365 days a year. It's a very difficult way to make a living. And it's also, again, you, you just don't know because a lot of times stuff that's going on as to how you, much you can charge for your milk or your dairy products, it, it's kind of beyond your control. One of the, the things that has happened is more and more you're, you're seeing the small family farms are, are are closing shop, and more and more you're seeing that the large, the, the mega farms. And for example, the Journal Sentinel has a story about how these, it's the size of, of dairy herds that have been increasing dramatically. And, um, for example, one of the th- looks, things they're looking at is a family farm that milks 6,500 cows in Kiwani County. Um, and Kiwani County apparently ranks third in the state with 16 mega-sized dairy farms. Um, Brown County has 20. Manitowoc has 18. So these are, these are the, the big farms that have the thousands of, of cows. And that's where the economies of scale is coming. And, and it's unfortunately, it's led to the demise, not of all small dairy farms, but it's if you're making money in the industry, it's, it's probably more likely because you've got, the, you've got the fancy milking equipment and you've got, again, lots and lots of cows to milk. One of the problems with having lots and lots of cows is the fact that Cows leave lots and lots of stuff behind. There, um, there, there's lots of manure that that you have, um, and that's one of the, the battles that you're, you know, you're constantly fighting. Okay, you're always mucking out the stalls. That that you're always you're dealing with that. So now you have all this manure that you have to deal with, and what they typically do is they use it as fertilizer. So you have, especially on these larger farms, you have. Okay, they will spread. They will spread the manure out and, and use that. Okay, well, there are some problems that come from that. It's it's one thing. It is not unusual, it's, and this has been a common thing on farms, to use like the, the manure and to spread it and use that as fertilizer. The problem, though, is with these mega dairy farms where you're talking about 6,500 cows, that, that's a lot of manure. <laughs> That, that's a lot of manure, particularly if you live in, in the area. So you, you spread it out, and it, it goes into the soil. And, and, yes, it makes the soil more, you know, aerable for whatever you want to grow. But also it creates issues. The manure gets into groundwater, for example. And, and um, you know, in, in most parts of the state, you, you, you don't have, you know, you don't have the city water. I mean, you, you're dealing with wells. And what happens is the manure, you know, as it decomposes, you know, gets into the ground. If there's lots and lots of it, it gets to be more than the ground can handle. And then it gets into the groundwater, which means it then gets into, you know, other people's wells. And at the risk of being kind of gross, I mean, there's a story in the paper today. I mean, one of the, you know, somebody who lives in the area where there's one of these giant mega wells is saying, you know, what's happened is, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're going to go brush our teeth and, you know, we're noticing that there's all this, the, 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 it, 
it's not just the smell from the fields, but you know we're noticing our water is starting to smell bad. We're noticing that hey, um, you know there's discoloration. I mean, it's all this stuff, and they believe it's it's due to this manure spreading. The dairy farmers say, well, wait. I mean, we're, we're trying to do this responsibly. We have to do stuff, and, and we think these concerns are overrated. But, but still, you know, if you want us to employ people, you know, and you want us to have growth, that this is, this is what we got to do, and there's really no other alternative. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. The question becomes whether or not the Department of Natural Resources and whether or not the Walker administration needs to be a lot more aggressive in going after these larger farms and either putting in heavy-duty restrictions on what they can do with the manure that's being generated, which has a huge cost, um, or whether... This is a problem which is just simply overblown. And if you want to have Wisconsin be the dairy state and you want to have this kind of growth, you have to recognize that this is just one of the things that's going to come with it because if you've got a lot of cows, you're going to have a lot of cow you-know-what. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Does the DNR need to be, and the Walker administration, need to be more aggressive in regulating this or is this just one of the consequences? This is what's going to happen when you have these businesses. And a lot of the dairy farmers say they think this whole thing is just way, way, way overblown. 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. I'll tell you where I come down on this as well. It's 1119, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This is a huge problem. As, 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 we, as the dairy industry changes and it goes from smaller family farms to more and more of the, these mega farms, thousands and thousands of cows, problem occurs with what, what do you do with what the cows leave behind. Typically, the farmers spread the manure on the fields. That's the traditional way of doing it. But when you've got a farm that has 6,000 cows, that's an awful lot of cow you-know-what. And what's happening, at least in some counties, is that the fact that the, the manure gets into the ecosystem, it pollutes the groundwater, it pollutes other people's wells, and a lot of people are saying, hey, we, we need more regulation of this. 414-799-1620 is the number. I, and, and again, this might be another one today where you, where you disagree with me. I, I appreciate I appreciate the, the fact that you, when you have the, these mega dairy farms, they're generating lots of jobs, and they're continuing to keep Wisconsin be the dairy state. At the same time, though, I, I, I think you would not allow other businesses, whether it's through natural or unnatural means, you would not allow other businesses to pollute groundwater. And I, I think we do need to be aggressive in making sure that all right, the amount of manure, for example, you put on fields, you know, isn't going to be more than the fields can handle. I mean, I think that's that's reasonable. Now, I understand there's an irony, given that we live in Milwaukee and you've got you know, met, the Metropolitan Milwaukee Sewage Commission, that when you know, the, the deep tunnel starts to get two-thirds full or whatever, they decide that they're going to start dumping untreated sewage into the lake. But at the same time, I, I do think... That I do think you have to be, to an extent, you have to be good stewards of the environment. And if if I lived, 
if I lived in the vicinity of one of these large dairy farms and all of a sudden I started noticing that stuff from the dairy farm was seeping into the groundwater and polluting my well, I could understand why they would be upset. 414-799-1620 is the Acunet Mortgage uh, talk and text line. Let's um, let's start with Rick and Juno. Rick, you're first. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. Uh, I've actually seen both ends of the spectrum. I actually have some family members that have one of the super farms up in Kiwani, and they took it upon themselves. They actually put in a digester, and what that does is it'll actually, they actually generate their own electricity off of the methane gas off of it, right. uh, run their farm. And then living out in Juneau, where I do, I've seen a farmer that definitely could afford it and does nothing about it and have actually witnessed him spread just gallons and gallons of manure close to a drainage ditch and everything else because he does not want to spend the money, and the man does have it. So I'd like to see him toughen up the Mm -hmm. restrictions a little bit. Yeah, I mean, right, nobody's talking about putting these farms out of business, or at least I'm not talking about putting the farms out of business. But at the same time, again, I, I you know, you, you just, you have to figure out controls for this type of thing. If it gets this big and it's more than the, the land can handle or you're talking about it just easier or whatever, okay, easy doesn't give you a right to necessarily dump stuff into waterways. It just doesn't. Well, the farm out in Juneau actually had contaminated 20 to uh, wells in town, and just because of the massive amount of manure that he had been dumping close to um, right. private wells there, and I mean it, it just yeah. I know. In my I... case, it was kind of it was it kind of irritated me a little bit because you know before that he took a million and a half dollar grant from the state of Wisconsin, and right. then when he got busted for polluting these wells, all of a sudden he filed bankruptcy. Right. Uh, part, and I don't know what chapter or whatever, but. He couldn't be held accountable for it, and I, I think that was wrong too. Yeah, no, thanks. I mean, I, again, I, I don't want to get into a particular situation, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I think, I think you need to have controls. You don't allow other businesses to pollute the environment, and I think that there. I mean, I think the DNR has has a role in this and imposing, you know, appropriate controls. And I'm not saying drive the mega farms out of business, but you know, okay, if, if you're if you're producing the stuff, you gotta figure out something to do with it. Travis in Wauwatosa. Travis, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? This I, is a great topic this morning. Thank you. What uh what's your take on this? This one hits kinda close to home for me. Um my wife's uncle uh is an independent farmer and has been for years. Um, and her, her best friend as well, um, lives right next door to a mega farm. Um, in, in my opinion, uh, I think that, you know, if anyone is telling you to your face, uh, that's a mega farm owner that they're not oversaturating, uh, and contaminating wells, it, it's just flat out lying to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've seen the effects of this firsthand, um, you know, just talking with them, um, and, and that's exactly what happens um you know a lot of times with this it's yes you you can use the manure to fertilize and that makes sense to repurpose it that way right um what happens is a lot of them will sit on excessive amounts of it and there is protocol um you know to to spray and then you have to till it into the land so that you don't have things like you know excessive runoff amounts um but it's 
it, it can be extremely damaging, and the effects of it can be irreversible. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, time, I, so. I would imagine once you get a well that gets polluted or, you know, like a, a stream that gets polluted, it, it I don't know if the stream or the well, I don't know how you ever bring it back. You know, it's or, near impossible for it to recover, Jeff. Um, you know, and and it's tragic. I mean, you know, that's something that, you know, how do you bring that back to life if, if you continue to do that? It's like, it's like sticking your hand in a jar of jelly beans, and there's different colors in there. You like the red ones, so you just keep eating all the red ones. Right. Well, eventually the red ones are going to disappear, and there won't be any left. Yeah, and I, and I think I mean thanks to code. I mean I also I mean I think that there can be a balance. But I, I do think, you know, especially when you're, and this is the, this has been the evolution of this, because of the rise of the mega farms, it has created the, this issue that might not have been as prevalent twenty or thirty years ago. And I think you have to make sure that the regulations keep up with that. And again, I'm not trying to put the mega farmers out of business. I, I'm not at all. But I'm also trying to think about, okay, what about the people that live, you know, next door? Or in the the area who is, are using like the same you know water sources. Let us talk to uh, let's see Charlie in Fond du Lac. Charlie, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, the um, with uh, up in Kewanee County um, where these mega farms are, the problem they have uh, up there is the uh, topsoil is so thin mm-hmm. with the uh, bedrock. That's why the wells are contaminated easily. Right. And what they should do is um, have, uh, I'm sad to say this, more government regulations that, um, you know, they can use what they need for fertilizer, but the excess should be shipped to a sewage treatment plant to be processed, and that way it can uh, be handled carefully. Now that sounds like a more costly thing, but something that would kind of preserve the environment a little bit more. Absolutely. Yeah. Now that, that's an interest. I mean, that's an interesting theory. Too. I mean, the idea that okay, well, uh, land is going to be different in all sorts of areas, and that kind of makes sense to me. If you're talking about Kewanee County, you know, maybe it's more bedrock, so you you put all this on there, and then it, it's got nowhere to go. Look, I, I I'm not trying to put the dairy farmers out of business. I, I appreciate that this is one of the reasons why you have Wisconsin's dairy industry that is thriving, but you do, I think, have to also look out for the, the neighbors in particular, and. I can understand why some of these neighbors have issues. Hi, it's Dave with LeafGuard Southeast. Spring cleaning projects will keep you plenty busy in the coming weeks. Why not give up one of your more nasty chores and have us install LeafGuard, the only patented seamless one-piece gutter system that's guaranteed to never clog. Or we'll clean them for free. We'd be happy to come out and show you why only LeafGuard carries the good housekeeping seal. Call us now to set up an appointment. We'll provide a free estimate. And right now, we'll take 75% off installation labor. 262-682-0500. It's 1135. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Here the hometown call as the Bucks Raptors series returns to Toronto tonight by being part of WTMJ's Bucks Playoff Watch Party. Join us at the Bosch Tavern in Hales Corners this evening as the Bucks look to regain the series lead and as the radio call of Ted Davis echoes throughout the building. Plus, win some great prizes throughout the night. It's WTMJ's Bucks Playoff Watch Party at the Bosch Tavern in Hales Corners tonight at 6 o'clock, sponsored by Lincoln Contractor Supply and Rhino Shield. I was just looking at the, uh, we have all these different TV monitors. Um, he 
I'm going to do a segment called, you know, he's back, but that's not, it's not directed at President Obama, but he is back. He's um, emerging from his kind of self-imposed lengthy vacation, and he's going to start making public appearances now and uh, doing various things, and that's, that, that's fine. I hope he stays away from the, again, I hope he recognizes that we only have one president at a time in this country, and just like President Bush didn't take cheap shots at uh, President Obama. I, I hope Obama extends the same courtesy. But I guess I was struck. I was just looking at one of these TV monitors, and I was struck at how old he looks. And it, it, I'm always, with, with the exception of Ronald Reagan, who was, was just pretty much timeless, I am always amazed at how that job ages people. And you look at, you look at all, you take almost any president and again, in my lifetime, I'm thinking with the exception of Ronald Reagan, and you look at the pictures of how they looked when they took office, and then you look at the picture of how they left, especially the ones who've served you know, like, like two terms, and, and it's night and day. Um, and Obama is, is the same way. I'm just looking at these things, and his hair has gone completely gray, and I know it was a little bit gray before, and but I mean, he, it looks like they've aged a long time. I've looked at, you know, you look at, at you know, Bush 43, the same thing. Bill Clinton, the same thing. It's just, and I guess you understand, it makes you understand, again, regardless of what your politics are, it makes you understand the pressures that come with being the leader of the free world. Ronald Reagan was the one exception to that, and you you wonder, you know, President Trump might be ageless as well. I, I just, I, you know, that'll be curious, but just look at the before and the after pictures, and it's just always stunning. And Barack Obama is just, in my opinion, the latest example of that. Weird story um, over the weekend, um, and it's just, you, you knew you knew that this wasn't going to end well. Aaron Moran, who, look, many of us grew up watching the show Happy Days, of course, Partly it was set in Milwaukee and things like that. But Erin Moran, who played Joni on Happy Days, she was Ron Howard, you know, Richie Cunningham's younger sister. And then she went on to star in her own spinoff show, Joni Loves Chachi, dead at 56. Um, this is it's it, it underscores again to me part of the problem that you have, for example, with these, these child actors. I mean, you I mean, she started acting when she was five and, you know, did did commercials and got a couple like small parts in tv series and then you know she hits it it big when she's you know on on happy days and happy days and the sequel i mean that runs you know nine years but then essentially she's you know 20 years old or or whatever and that that those are gone and apparently in her case um she she wasn't able to really make the transition into you know, an adult actress that happens a lot to, to child actors and it seems like she you know pretty much struggled so you're in your you know you're in your early 20s and all of a sudden okay it's it's kind of all over career wise and you can understand why a lot of people just kind of struggle and she obviously had a lot of issues going on there were stories about how you know at one point in time you know she, she ended up giving up los angeles and then she ended up in Indiana with her second husband and um, you know they had all these businesses that had kind of failed and then they were in a trailer uh, taking care of his ailing her her um, husband's ailing mother and she tossed them out or whatever I mean you know then they get tossed out of a holiday and it was just you could just see somebody who was on this like really 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 bad spiral but it does it does make you think about I don't know sometimes we, we take for granted the fact that you have these successes. I mean, I think about that with athletes a lot too. The, the folks that are just 
First of all, all the the high school and college athletes that are really, really good but aren't able to figure out how to make a living out of it, you know, and how a lot of those people just kind of struggle to find their way in life, and hopefully, you know, they end up doing it. And then you have the athletes, the people who do make it to the professional ranks but don't necessarily make the the really big money. You know, I'm the ones that, okay, you, you get the gig in the NFL, and it's great for a year or two, but what's the average longevity of NFL players? It's like three years or something like that. So, I mean, I'm not talking about the Aaron Rodgers. I'm not talking about the people that, you know, make the, the enormous amounts of money, but the people who kind of bounce around for a while, and they get paid, and they make a nice salary, but then all of a sudden they're 26 years old, and it's, it's kind of all over for them, and what do you end up doing? I'm just – I'm always – intrigued by you know people whether it's the child actors or the athletes how they end up you know how they end up figuring out you know what they're going to do with the rest of their life some are lucky and are able to do it others like um, Aaron Moran apparently just never are quite able to find their way in life and they end up um, uh, passing away way too soon she was 56 years old they haven't announced any details about what exactly happened and we won't speculate but it, it does sound like she was one of these people that just never never quite figured out what she was going to do with her life after happy days ended up uh, ending all right coming up next he's back will anybody care stick around It's 1145, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Bill O'Reilly saga continues. Um, I think everybody's familiar right by now. Bill O'Reilly, who was the the gorilla in the room when it came to cable news, of over 4 million viewers, his viewership continuing to increase year to year. He, um, who recently signed a multi-year contract renewal, was unceremoniously dumped by Fox News last week. He was on a vacation. He's not coming back for the um, for the O'Reilly factor. The thing that led to him being fired was the fact that um, the New York Times had done, I don't even know that it's fair to say an expose, because the information had been out there for a while, pointing out that over the last several years he had been involved, he had had several sexual harassment claims filed against him, most notably one from several years ago where it was a former producer. Um, the, the case ended up settling for $9 million, and it's still kind of unclear as to whether Fox paid that or whether O'Reilly paid it or whether it was a combination thereof. Then there were multiple other claims as well by by women um, which were settled um, in cases in for for lesser amounts but i say lesser amounts uh, in many cases there was like a million dollar settlement but that's lesser than a nine million dollar settlement i think a total of like 13 million dollars in claims paid out the information was known to fox and this is the thing that frustrates me i'm not going to defend bill o'reilly if he was behaving in a bad way but the information was known to fox there, there weren't secrets about these things and yet they still knowing all this decided that okay hey we're going to give him a a multi-year contract renewal. It's only after the New York Times brings this up. And then, of course, advertisers, not viewers, advertisers start to bail. And I acknowledge I'm a little bit surprised because I thought, I'm surprised how quickly this happened because I think ultimately the question was going to be, do viewers bail on him? Because if the viewers don't bail on him, you would be able to find advertisers who would want to be on the program. But in this particular case, the backlash on social media was so great, um, Fox decided, okay, we, we appreciate all he's done, but boom, he, he's he's gone. Now, 
it's tough to feel too sorry for Bill O'Reilly because he he ended up with a severance payment of twenty five million dollars, twenty five million dollars. So I mean that's, but but he loses his TV gig, and there's no question about it. I mean I'm sure that you know somebody like a Bill O'Reilly, his personal self image is very much caught up in you know being on TV and that. But he's sixty seven years old. He's got more money I would presume than he can possibly spend, and Fox is paying him twenty five million dollars for the privilege of him having to not work on Fox. So you, you don't need to have a tag sale. What I thought was interesting is uh, this evening, Bill O'Reilly is going to be back. He's not back on, on television, but he's he's got his podcast, the No Spin News podcast. Um, it's going to be back with a new episode tonight at 7 o'clock. Um, this, this is available only for paid subscribers to his website. So it's not something that you can just log in. It's not like our podcasts where you just download them and they're there for free. Um, you, you have to be a paid subscriber to his his website. But th- this podcast is going to be there, and presumably he's going to be continuing it. All right, I'm intrigued by this. I, I'm, I'm intrigued by the rise of people, and then I'm intrigued by the, the quick fall of people. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. A year from now, will Bill O'Reilly still be relevant? Now, I have no I have no question that a lot of people, especially if you're Bill O'Reilly fans, are going to be tuning in, especially if you subscribe to this website. I, don't, I have no idea how much it costs. Um, but I, as people are going to be, people are going to want to hear what he says and what he has to say about the circumstances that led to his dismissal. I understand that he's, you know, he writes these books, got a whole series of books that people like. But at the same time, a lot of that is tied into the, the persona that he created on TV. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I have to preface this. I did not think Fox would dump him as quickly as they did. I am surprised by how quickly this all happened. I thought they would take more of a wait-and-see attitude, and apparently the attitude they took was, well, we've waited, and we've seen all these advertisers bailing, and we just want no part of this, so you know we're, we're getting off the O'Reilly train. All right, so I, I'm surprised at how quickly that happened. I thought they would take more of a wait-and-see attitude. I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of people wanting to know what he says on his podcast tonight, expecting that he's going to comment on his dismissal from Fox News. A year from now, though, you know, I, I think, and maybe I'll be wrong on this, but as far as an influence maker, as far as somebody who has the clout that O'Reilly has arguably had, I think those days are over. Now, now will some people continue to buy the books? Yes. Will some people continue to follow the podcasts? Yes. Will some people, you know, continue to listen to what he does on radio? I, I think yes. But as far as, I mean, the glory days, I just, I don't see Bill O'Reilly being able to recapture them. And candidly, I think it would be a mistake. I think it would be a mistake for him to not kind of go gently into the good night. My gosh, you've got all this money. You know, just figure out what the next act is going to be. Uh, my producer, Hondo, says the yearly membership is forty nine ninety five for Bill's site. Is that because you are a subscriber to it or you just checked? You just checked. Okay, so for 50 bucks, you can be a subscriber to the website. When, when he was a TV star on Fox, yes. I mean, I just, I would be stunned, I guess, if I see him, 
I mean, I, I don't know if, if Fox ended up deciding he was too controversial for Fox. I, I can you, I can't see him on. He's certainly not going to be on ABC or NBC or NBC or, or, or CBS. He's not going to be showing up on CNN or MSNBC. I mean, is there some kind of obscure cable channel that he might you know go to? Sure. Is there you know possible possibility that you, I mean, do something you know on the internet? Yeah, maybe. But as far as you know, being a decision maker and an influencer, I I think I think it's kind of over. And I wonder how many people will continue to pay. Forty nine ninety five to be on the O'Reilly website now that there's no more O'Reilly factor. My guess is not that many. But like I say, not too sorry, because even if you think he got a raw deal, even if you think that, that Fox caved to the forces of political correctness, um, he's still walking away with $25 million, like I say, for the privilege of not working for Fox. And uh, that's, that's, uh, that's not the type of thing that many people get.